morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. If you consider yourself a visitor, we'd like to welcome you back at any time you have to come and worship with us. This morning what we're going to be doing is we're going to be continuing our study of the apostles uh, of Jesus. I'm going to be talking this morning about Simon. Simon is only mentioned in the place where it lists the apostles. So a lot of the stuff we know about Simon comes from history. He was born in Judea sometime. They reckon he was born about the time of Christ, about that same year. But they can't really prove that. That's just what most historians agree with. And he was about the same age as Christ. He did a lot of preaching around the world for God and for Jesus. Many historians believe that he went with Philip and talked with Philip. And basically that's all history really tells us of any consequence of Simon. So what are we going to talk about Simon today then? If there's only the scriptures where they list the name of the apostles and history doesn't tell us a whole lot about him, we get into how he died here in a little bit. It does tell us how history does have come to a consensus on how he died for the cause of Christ. But what are we really going to talk about? Well, everywhere that they list Simon, he's known as the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. So we're going to talk about what's in the name today. Simon, history tells us there was a Zealot movement to overthrow the Roman government. It started about the time of Christ. Some people claim that that may be where Simon got that name from. Because as you remember, Mike told us, last names were not common. This was more of a nickname, the Zealot. And they thought that maybe he was a part of that movement, but it was in the very early stages. Most historians think that's probably not the case because of the teachings of Christ about that, that he wasn't there to throw over the Roman government. So they're really not, don't come to a consensus on that. What most of them agree on is that he was zealous in his religion first as a Jew and then as a follower of Christ. They agree that that's probably how he got his name, is that he was zealous in the work he did for his religion, whether it was as a Jew at the time or for Christ. They agree that he was probably very zealous in that, in that work. So what can we learn from that? What can we learn from that name that he was given, the zealot? Well, first of all, I think we need to have a good working definition of zeal. Zeal is great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. He had great enthusiasm for the cause of Christ, for the objective that Christ had. He even had enthusiasm for the cause of the Jewish religion, whenever he was a member of that. He was very enthusiastic. He was in the pursuit. He was willing to chase it down of a cause or an objective. You know, we hear about enthusiasm all the time. Enthusiasm is something that's important to employees, employers, students, coaches. Enthusiasm is important. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Can you think of anything that was great that was achieved without enthusiasm? Maybe somebody got lucky, I don't know. But most of the time there was great enthusiasm at the beginning. John Wesley, catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come from, from miles to watch you burn. 
attract people to be enthusiastic. It'll draw people in. They'll come in here just to watch you. You know, from an athlete's point of view, Mr. Marty said, if you aren't fired with enthusiasm, you will be fired with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is important. Why is it so important? I believe there's several reasons. But if you ever want anything to really catch fire and spread, people have to be enthusiastic about it. It can't be something like, oh, no, I really don't. People with the eh kind of feeling about things don't really go the extra mile. You know, last night we went and saw a movie. Amber and Delilah were very enthusiastic about the movie. Me and myself, I was kind of like, yeah, I know y'all want to go, so we'll go. We went and saw Beauty and the Beast. Now, that really wasn't my thing, but I went. Sometimes I feel that's how we treat church. I know I'm supposed to go, but I know I'm supposed to be a religious person, but it's kind of, it won't last if it's that way. Nothing lasts without enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is contagious. Very contagious. They did a study on companies. And companies that had at least one or two enthusiastic employees had more enthusiasm running through their company and were more successful. They made more money. People get really enthusiastic about money. We watch shows with these million dollar prizes that people do awful, horrible things to each other just so they can have a shot at that money. And they're very enthusiastic in the pursuit. I watched a show with Amber the other day called Stranded with a Million Dollars. And what it was is it was a group of people that were stranded on this island. And they all had to agree how to spend the money if they wanted to spend money. And let me tell you, there was some backstabbing stuff going on because they all wanted the money. Because if you can get somebody to quit, that's more money for me. People get really enthusiastic about money. Why don't we get as enthusiastic about things for Christ? About things for God? Why don't we get enthusiastic about that? You know, I get really enthusiastic about a football game. Texas OU, and when Texas played that game, I couldn't get more, much more enthusiastic about a football game. I would spend hundreds of dollars to go watch him play. But I won't even spend the time to study or study with somebody enthusiastically about God's Word. We need to get our priorities straight and what we're enthusiastic about. The Bible says several things about zero, but I, I want to focus on three of them today. And we're going to look at these three things that the Bible says about zero and how that can apply to us. First, in Titus 2, 12-14, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every godless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good work, for good works. Are we zealous for good works? You know, there have been many people that had zeal that were on the other side of that. They weren't zealous for good works. You know, I watched a special on Charles Manson. It was some anniversary of when they arrested him or something. I don't know. But it was on ABC, and I decided I'd spend some time to watch that. He was a very zealous individual. He was enthusiastic about what he was doing. He was creepy as all get out, but he was enthusiastic. But he was enthusiastic for evil. Probably the 
most evil, enthusiastic man we can name is Hitler. He was enthusiastic about what he was doing. It wasn't right. It wasn't good. But he was enthusiastic about it. So we fall on the enthusiastic for good deeds, or we fall on the enthusiastic for worldly things. And I'm enthusiastic about money, about my station at work, about how many people respect me, about how much power I have. Or we're enthusiastic about the good things that we can do in this world, the people we can help, things like that. But the Bible teaches us that God wants us to be enthusiastic, be zealous for good works, to pursue good works. That's what God wants us to do. In Galatians 4 and 18, But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. Now, here he's saying, it's good for you to be zealous in all things, but don't just be zealous whenever I'm there. Do we have to have somebody that's kind of nudging us along to be zealous? Do we have to have somebody there to push us, push us along and make us better? Make us more enthusiastic? Are we kind of like that pulling lawnmower that you have to pull like seven or eight times before it really gets started? My dad was never big on buying new lawnmowers. So those times I pulled that thing 20 times before I get it started. Are we kind of like that? Where we take that, it takes some pulling and prodding to get us enthusiastic about what we're doing? You know, we have a story of Zacchaeus, the wee wee man, climbed in a sycamore tree for Jesus to see. There's a whole poem I'm not going to bore you by going through the whole thing. But are we not enthusiastic about Christ that just to get a glimpse of what he wants, we're willing to run and climb a tree just to see Or do we have to be pushed and prodded? What I get out of the scripture is Christ and God want self-motivators. They don't want somebody that has to be pushed all the time. They want somebody that can be enthusiastic and get themselves going. Because, and not only when I am present with you, there's going to be a time where those enthusiastic people that push everybody aren't going to be there anymore. There's going to be times where the enthusiasm isn't there for them anymore by death. And the Jews going to pick up prodding and pushing them. And then probably the most famous verse on zero is Romans 10, 1 and 2. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel is that you may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know what that describes to me? Teenage boys. <laughs> They're excited, but they don't have the knowledge to pull it off. <laughs> there were all things I was excited about when I was a teenager, and I just didn't have the knowledge to pull it off. You know, Paul wrote this. You think Paul knew about having zeal without knowledge? He talked about it in his defense before kings. He said, I was zealous for the Jewish nation, even putting Christians in persecution. He had the zeal, but he didn't have the knowledge. We need to work to get the knowledge with the enthusiasm. You know, my granddad, he, uh, uh, he had a saying that any time Alan or my dad or Bruce, it was mainly them three, Tom and that men weren't really like this. When they got really excited, 
You don't. Don't go in and have coffee without knowing what you're talking about. Know, know the stuff before before you go out there and make a mess of things like Paul did. You know, you can make a mess of things and it can take generations to fix. Because of your enthusiasm without knowledge. We need to work towards the knowledge that way our zeal and our enthusiasm is put to good, good use, not a hindrance to Christ. And we, at this day, are very lucky. The men of this time had the apostles in their letters. We have it all in one book. We can pick it up any time we want to and get some knowledge. But the problem is, sometimes the other things that enthuse us draw us away. I can't count how many times I've been studying for a lesson. Oh, a game's coming on. i got to wrap this up so I can watch the game. Is that game really that much more important? No. As a matter of fact, it's probably a lot less important. <laughs> a lot less. That's how we get. The other things that enthuse us get in the way. So we need to learn to prioritize. And I'm not saying that other in- interests are bad. But when they take away your enthusiasm from the church, that's when we have a problem. Simon the Zealot was so zealous in his works and his teaching that in my opinion, he suffered the worst, the worst death of any of the apostles. That's just my opinion. You may have another opinion, but this was pretty bad to me. All the historians agree he was sawed in half while he was still alive. And it wasn't like this. It was up and down. So every time you see him pictured or in statue, he has a saw with him. Because that's the way, that's the way most historians, every historian I read agreed on that. That he was sawed in half. Now anybody with less zeal for Christ... About the time they got that saw out of their okay, okay, let's, let's renegotiate here. <laughs> but the zeal took them through. So we're talking about his name, the zealot. That's what we get out of his name, that he was a zealot. He had knowledge. He was a zealot without having to be pushed or prodded. He was zealous for good works. So what will people, what name would people give you? Would they call you a zealot? Maybe not. Maybe you have zeal, but maybe not to the point where they would call you that. How about humble? Would that be a nickname somebody would give you? Or how about a servant? Would that be a name somebody might would give you? How about forgiver? Are you a forgiving person? Is that a name somebody would give you? Wise. You know, we talk about knowledge. Would somebody say that you were wise? That you had the knowledge and you used it well? How about loving? Would they say that you're a loving person? That you have your mind out for other people? Pure. Would they say that you're pure? Now, that's kind of a hard one. Because all of us are impure. But would we be working hard enough that we would say, yeah, he's a pretty pure guy? How about kind? Or are we mean and aggravating mean? 
pushing seven people in the back. Fair. Fair is a very big thing these days. Are we fair to all people or just the people we like? The people that we associate with. How about godly? That'd be a good one. Do we strive to be more godly? Could they say, generally be godly? Could they say that? How about peaceful? You're always stirring up strife, but you're peaceful. You're a peaceful person. You try your best not to get into any kind of altercations. Faithful. Could they say you're a faithful person? Would people say that about you? Meek. Would they say that you're meek? Would they say you're a teacher of God's Word? Could you be called a teacher? Or do you have need that someone teach you? Knowledgeable. You know, wise and knowledgeable are two different things. Could we be called knowledgeable about the Word of God? That we know what God wants us to do. And be able to communicate that to others. What name would people give you? Could they give you the name that wraps all of that one plus many other things up into one? Could they call you a Christian? Or do they see you and not think Christian? Do they see you and think, if he's a Christian, I don't want to be a part of my church. You know, they saw Simon, they knew that's his uh, he, he is enthusiastic about what he's doing. Can people look at you and say, that's a Christian? That's what we need to be like. That's a Christian. Or is there something else they would say that you are? You know what's great about this? God expects us to be able to be called Christians. With all the things that wrap that up. You know what the absolute great thing is? It's never too late until you take your last breath. It's never too late with God until you take that last breath. If you haven't been those things that we've listed and many more, if they can't call you a Christian because you don't act the way you should, there's always time to turn that around. There's time to make a change. There's time to become the person that they can call Christian. I mean it. But, again, it's up to you. God's not going to force you. God's not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. So is there anything more important to you than being a Christian? Being known as a Christian? Because if there is, we need to balance the scales. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand in the